is being preserved for us by God the Father. And because it is being preserved for us by God the Father, we know that it is a sure inheritance, a living hope, a sure confidence that we have. And so we have an inheritance. We talked about that last week. Uh, we didn't talk extensively describing the inheritance, but we certainly talked about uh, what's involved there, going even to Revelation, to understand that that is our inheritance. All these things that Jesus Christ has taken possession of for us by the power of the resurrection, uh, his presence in the throne room of heaven, and that we are just simply waiting for the actualization of what has already been legally set aside for those who trust in him. And so the inheritance is intact. It is uncorrupted. It is sure. Uh, that has been guarded and protected for us. But in this process of transitioning, uh, of, of transferring, I'm sorry, transferring an inheritance to those that are intended to receive it, not only do you have to preserve the inheritance and keep it intact, but you also have to preserve the inheritors and keep them intact. And that's what we want to look at this morning as we look into 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to move from talking about what we are inheriting and talk about how are we preserved to be recipients of that inheritance. And so while uh, a family could be very careful to be good stewards of their property and their means and to make sure that they don't squander or waste that inheritance or ruin it and so it is intact to hand down to the next generation, uh, there's another side of the equation, and that is what if the next generation dies before they can receive the inheritance? What if they are destroyed by war, by disease? Uh, uh, ha what happens? Now you have an intact inheritance and no inheritors. And so this is also a, a problem that Peter wants to address. And so he does this. So let's read this verse. Let's back up because remember we're talking about a single sentence so we're going to go back into chapter 3, I'm sorry, not chapter 3, chapter 1, verse 3. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, to the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory." Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into." That's your complete thought uh, that Peter wants to communicate to you. And we are right, not quite uh, a third of the way through this, and we are looking into, beginning into one of the major themes that Peter is going to be carrying throughout the book. 
and it is, is going to be right in the middle of this complete thought that we're going to really delve into, which really brings us into next week. But uh, this is an introduction to that, and that is uh, that we are the ones kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so the who there that begins this verse off refers back to the, the ones who have an inheritance reserved for them in heaven. So we have the inheritance, we have the gift, we have the package deal that God has bought and paid for and has preserved and that no one can destroy. No one can, can sully it. It is intact and it will remain intact and it will not be uh, uh, poisoned at all by anything of this world or anyone. And so it is, it is this wondrous gift of God that is reserved, that is kept by God for all those who trust in his son Jesus Christ and the resurrected one. And so we want to talk about, well, what about us? What if we fall away? And in my faith traditions growing up, that was almost never discussed, <laughs> unfortunately. We had a position that once you prayed the sinner's prayer, uh, you, you were preserved from that point on. That, and, the, of course, the passage that they all focus in on was that you are in my Father's hand. No one is able to take you out of my Father's hand. Uh, you are in my hand. No one is able to take you out of my hand. Uh, and that promise of God. And they said, well, you placed yourself in the, that hand, and now no one can take it out. And so we had this sense of security from the time we prayed the sinner's prayer and received baptism, no matter how we lived, uh, we were secure in that. And this passage would seem to indicate that that is a reality, that we are kept by the power of God. But unfortunately, they would end the verse there and neglect the balance of this sentence that goes all the way to verse 12. That yes, we are kept by the power of God. God does keep us. That is, he is part of not only preserving our inheritance, but preserving the inheritors who have demonstrated a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And we have talked extensively. We're not done talking about it. It'll come up again. Uh, it's going to come up over and over again in Peter that we want to demonstrate a genuineness of faith. We saw it in John. We're going to see it from a different perspective in Peter, but it is still there. Are we going to move forward in faith? And even the very term genuineness of faith is going to be used by Peter in verse 7. I should look first. Right? That the genuineness of your faith. This is the question. Is our faith genuine? And as we talked last week, our concern is that we are too quick to dispense this promise of eternal security to individuals and with, without careful instruction about the foundation of that. And Peter and, the, and John and Paul, the writer of Hebrews, none of them do that. James, none of them are willing to do that. They are all careful not to do that. We have taken passages out of context and we have ignored the audience and the concern of the speaker. We've taken a few phrases and we've built a whole philosophy that once saved, always saved. And we have neglected huge portions of scripture. Pretty much the whole book of Hebrews and, and other significant passages. So we come to this 
uh, with some excitement. Because here it is, how does God keep us, preserve us to receive the inheritance that he is preserving? We had great confidence at the end of last week, God is going to preserve the inheritance. What about the inheritors? How can he protect us and keep us? And this is the concern of verse 5, we are kept. And again, uh, this is a passive term, so it is something God is doing to us. He is keeping us. So I do not want you to get to the end of this message and think, well, pastor says we're going to keep our own salvation. The Bible does instruct you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, which means you have a role in this environment. This idea of God keeping you by his power is not uh, only a passive activity of God. It is, I'm sorry, an active activity of God toward a passive recipient. It is not that you are sitting there doing whatever you like and God is keeping you. But like the beginning of your salvation, so is the enduring of your salvation. It is a relationship. And it takes two to tango. I know that's a dance metaphor and Baptists aren't allowed to use those, but there it is. It takes two. To have a relationship takes you and someone else. If you have a relationship with yourself, we call you mentally ill. Okay? If, if you just, are you talking to yourself and answering yourself and, and enjoying your own company? Uh, <laughs> there's something wrong there. Okay? So to have a relationship means you have two parties who are mutually involved. And so it is not just that we are passively there. God has a relationship with us and we don't have a relationship with him. That's a broken thing. The fact is God has a relationship with all men everywhere uh, because he loves them all and died for them. He has extended that and waits for a reciprocal desire. He waits for us to respond to him and want to have a relationship with him. And so even here where we have that we are kept by the power of God, we are the recipients of a wonderful work of God. And we talked about that last week, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. And so I really introduced this through that, uh, that he is the guaranteeing element who works in us. And so we have this secure inheritance, and we, by faith, have, have made it our own. Now, how do I keep a hold of that? Well, the power of God is at work in our life, through Holy Spirit, to preserve that and to preserve you, to preserve our faith, that he is there. But as we talked last week, we can resist him, we can grieve him, we can counter him, we can quench him, we can go against that Holy Spirit and, and just push him away. And the question is, how far can that go before you really aren't filled with the Holy Spirit? You aren't possessors of the Spirit. How far can we go? And the Bible talks about the necessity to uh, develop our relationship with Holy Spirit, to develop that, that is the power of God in us to keep ourselves for the inheritance. It keeps the inheritance, but also keeps us for that inheritance. We are kept by the power of God. So what is the element that God waits upon? Well, just like for salvation... The keeping of us in the faith by the power of God, that is the mechanism. But what is the, what is the reciprocation? What is the response that we're supposed to give? 
is also listed here in verse 5. Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The power of God is a commodity, I hate to use that term, that is available to all men everywhere all the time. Understand that. It is a common grace. The power of God is available to all men everywhere all the time. It is accessible. But that access, that door of access, that entry point uh, that uh, God has established is uh, by faith in Jesus Christ. And so here it talks about, yes, we are kept by the power of God, but we have a, 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 an element in this, and it is by faith that we do so. And not just a superficial faith, but a genuine faith. And this is so important to the theme of Peter that he keeps revisiting it throughout this sentence, that this is part of your salvation, and part of your salvation is not just an event that happened back then, but it should be an event that happens right now, repeatedly. Not that you keep getting resaved, but that salvation is not a single event in your life, but it is a continuing event of your life. It had an initiation, but it continues. Um, if, if all you had was your birthday, and that was the end, we have a single event, you were born, okay. We would say, well, now you're dead. If all you had was a single event and nothing else, we understand the event of birth is to bring forth a life that continues. And that as soon as you stop that, your life is over. Regardless of the significance of that event, it has to be continuing. We don't say you're alive because you were born. We say you're alive because you're alive <laughs> right now. Does that require that you were born once? Yes. But also requires that you are blood flowing through you and you're breathing right now, does it not? Similarly with our salvation, to sit there and say, well, I got saved at that time, and then to be spiritually inactive for decades and say, well, I, I got saved and baptized back there when I was 12. Okay, that's my testimony. To, say, to then keep pointing to that and keep pointing to that with nothing from there on to point to and say, this is who I am in Jesus Christ is not to be living a new birth. Remember, this is all built upon in this sentence the concept that we have been begotten again. We have been begotten again. And so we should have that liveliness, that aliveness, starting at one point and continuing. And this is what the biblical authors want, is they want a continuing faith, a growing, living, active faith. And please remember that faith is an active thing in your life. It is not a passive thing. It's, I believe that. And you sit there and don't do anything. Well, you don't really believe that. You only believe that which moves you to action. That is your belief system. And so we find that it is through, it is through our faith that salvation is secured, not provided, it is secured, and it is now preserved by the power of God through our faith. And so our faith isn't in my faith, I'm not trusting my trusting, but my trusting of God does not cease. 
it began at this day, but if it ended the next day, then I'm a miserable creature because I'm self-deceived. That is not a saving faith. It began that day. It's a living faith. It continues all my days. This is saving faith for salvation. This is the faith that they talk about. This is genuine faith that we saw in John as we moved from faith to faith to faith. To believe, to believe, to believe is the word he used. Peter's going to use the word faith. And so he talks about the end of our faith. So we have a genuineness of faith as a concern here. When we look at uh, verse 7, verse 9, as we continue studying forward, uh, and we're going to get to these in weeks to come, we're receiving the end of your faith. Notice again the, co- the connection of your faith to salvation, the salvation of your souls. The end of your faith. So you have a beginning of your faith, and you have an end of your faith. And between that is a life of faith. That is the definition of a Christian that is eternally secure. That is accomplished by the power of God in our lives as we surrender to it, as we have truly surrendered our will to his will, as we have truly made him our Lord, made him our God, made him our master, as well as our friend and comforter and savior, forgiver, but we also want to make him king over us, I'm going to serve him all my days. And when we have the beginning of faith is not the time to say you are now secure forever. Perhaps when we're quite a ways along in our walk of faith, we can start discussing it. But it is certainly that we are pressing on to the end of our faith. I I am amazed by some of the attitudes of our biblical writers, Paul particularly, who at the, toward the very end of his life, let's go to Philippians chapter 4 with me, let's look at that. Instead of me just referencing, let's, let's look at it. Uh, not 4, 3, sorry. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Paul himself, this is pretty far along uh, in his life, and uh, he says in verse 8, it says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. That's the past. That's his past. Keep reading. And be found in him, that's the present, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. This is the future. Do you see it? He records his past his present, now his future, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, or I'm already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid, also laid hold of me. My brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now notice the next verse. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if anything anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we, that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Paul here 
having ministered, having all this rich history of a walk with Jesus Christ, going back to the Damascus Road experience and going through all the things that he has suffered and put aside all the evidence that is there in his life that he is a true servant of God, affirmed and affirmed and affirmed again and again, still at this point of this writing scripture, saying, I do not consider myself to fully have attained. I haven't taken possession of my inheritance. There's still a future that I have to press towards. I don't want to lose out. I don't want to miss this. I have a goal, and the goal is the end of my faith, the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want to keep grasping hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. I want to grasp after, I want to pursue my inheritance. I don't want it to be just a, a single event prayed and done. I'm prayed, dunked, done. Uh, no. If that's your perspective, you're an error. You don't know the scriptures. And, and shame on churches that teach that. It is, true faith is modeled all your life and even here, in a mature setting, when you are well-established in your faith, uh, we dare not think, well, now I can coast into heaven. There's no retirement plan for the Christian life. And shame on Christians that do that, to think, well, I'm too old now, someone else can take over, I'll just sit back and relax. Well, find that in the Bible. I'm glad Paul didn't do that, or we wouldn't have several books of our Bible. Glad Moses didn't do that. We wouldn't have other books of the Bible. Can ministry transition? Yes, but we don't stop. There's no such thing. We press on. If anything, I say, hey, I'm getting closer to the end. I'm getting closer to the end. I don't want to let up. I want to put everything I got into it. As we get closer and closer to the Lord's coming, oh, we don't let off the gas pedal. That's how you lose the race. And I've watched enough races to see kids who think, kids, they're all kids now. Unless you go to the senior Olympics, then they're all older than me. So <laughs> you see these men and women that are in this race, they think it's all theirs, and they start to celebrate, and they start coasting, and they let up, and then zoom, right there comes someone right by them, and they lose at the wire. I don't want to be that person, do you? And so we press on to the very end, the end of our faith. And this is what Peter talks about, that the, the genuineness of your faith and, and that we're pressing on to the end of our faith. But here at the beginning of this concept in 1 Peter, verse 5, that it is the continuing key. We are kept. This is the present tense. The past tense, you by faith trusted in Jesus Christ. You are being kept today by the power of God through your faith in that power. That I am not trusting uh, this teacher, I'm not trusting in this doctrine, uh, this doctrinal teaching of this denomination, I'm not trusting in all these things, I'm trusting in God, and I'm going to live a life in the present that is de demonstrating that I trust in the power of God. It is at work today. He has power over me. He is the higher power in my life that I am accountable to 
every day and that I want to pursue every day. It is the power of God that preserves us by our faith reciprocating. His power is available. He makes it present through the Holy Spirit as our guarantee we talked about last week. And we see now that we are called to reciprocate. That we, by faith, engage that power. And so we... There's lots of illustrations, that, but in your house, uh, unless P&M fails somehow or your solar panels fall off, the, off or something, um, you have a power at your meter. And it, and it goes right through the wires, right to the switch. The power is there. It's there, but it's not being accessed until you throw the switch. Faith is a switch that activates the power of God in your life. It's always available because God is faithful. He's immutable. He doesn't change. He is he's full of grace and mercy, and he extends that to us, and he says it's available. Holy Spirit is right there waiting for you to give him a turn in your life. How about if you let me take control of things? You've kind of done enough damage. <laughs> Why don't you let me take over? And so that power of God is there and available. God wants it to be employed. He wants it to be engaged. And it is faith that lights it up, that activates it in our life and makes it personally ours. Not just once at salvation, but continuously. Because we know what happens if there's an interruption in power. Right? The lights go out. But there is no there's never an interruption of power when your source is God. So the fault is in that. So when the lights go out in a room, I have a couple of ideas. Usually I think, well, the light bulb burned out. All right, again, the application. And uh, then, strangely enough, the next thing I do is I go to the panel out in my garage to see if the circuit breaker is broken. And if that's intact, I thought, well, maybe PNM the power went out. But then I go turn on other things, and they work. So I know there's a problem. Now I figured out the problem. The problem was very close. It's that switch. We're breaking the line somewhere. We know that the power is not going to be disrupted to keep us for the day, to keep us all through no matter what comes, no matter what the world throws at us, that we know that there is accessible power to overcome, to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. The power is there. The question is, do we trust it? Do we have faith in it? Do we truly believe? Is our faith genuine to endure to the end? So the keeping of the inheritors is done by the power of God, but it requires our faith to bring it into action in us. And again, that, that, that our faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And we saw again in verse 9, the end of our faith. And this is something that uh, Peter is concerned about, that we endure to the end. And Paul says that he endures to the end shall be saved. Enduring faith is saving faith. You'll hear me say that a lot throughout this study. And hopefully it will become just a thing that you... Think all the time. Enduring faith is saving faith. Saving faith is enduring faith. You cannot claim to have saving faith if you don't endure. And not, it's not for measured by months. It's not measured by years. It's not measured by decades. It's measured by lifetimes. 
It's not that I've been a Christian for so long and now, you know, I can relax. No, you set yourself up to not have enduring faith. I press on toward the goal, to the end line, to the finish. And as I get closer and closer to the finish in my life, I don't want to let up. I want to I turn it on even stronger. I want to end well. I want to end with that final sprint. I don't want to just turn off the engine and coast through. Neither did Peter, neither did Paul, James, uh, John, all of them. They wanted to finish well, that they might have the inheritance. But they, again, they weren't trusting in themselves, but in the power of God. They were continuing to access the power of God, the power of God, the power of God through their faith. It might appear that we are saying that faith is the controlling element here, but it is... Uh, Obviously, the switch could sit there and think it has all the power, but the switch has no power. The switch is simply the mechanism to connect the power to its end use. But you can imagine a switch that I'm so important. You know, if you don't switch, I, I'm the important, I'm the key. No, the key is that at one end there's, there's a continuous access of power. You're just a connector. We are connecting God's power to our reality through faith. That's all faith is. Power isn't ours. Power is God's. To be saved, to be kept, and to the end. This is the calling of God for us. And it is in this we are told that we are to greatly rejoice. We are to rejoice that there will be a revealing of our faith for salvation in the last time, in the end, the salvation of our souls, the completion of all things. This is what awaits us, is when we take possession of the inheritance. Right now, we have every confidence that it is, it is secured by God. Our inheritance is secure. And now, uh, as we go through our life, if we continue living in faith, we can have a greater and greater degree of confidence that we are qualified to receive that inheritance. That God is active in my life. That when I start to wander, there's conviction that the Spirit isn't gone. As much as I've grieved Him, as much as I've quenched Him, as much as I've resisted Him, uh, He's not gone. He keeps, and this is when we pray for people under church discipline, uh, our friends and relatives, loved ones, enemies, who have walked away from the faith, we pray for them. We pray, what are we praying? We're praying for a continued conviction in their life. That God will make them miserable if they are really his children. And if they aren't his children because they have rejected Jesus Christ, then uh, what Hebrews makes it very clear. That once you have tasted the heavenly gift to reject it, you cannot receive it again. And so we pray that there is a convicting of the Holy Spirit that they will at some point respond to. And we keep that praying as long as they are breathing and as long as the Lord tarries, that there is, uh, that's, that's their only hope. And so we pray. That is our prayer. Make them miserable until they, by faith, surrender. 
And not just for another single event, but for the balance of their days. And this is what we are called to, to be kept for our inheritance. This inheritance is a very difficult thing on both sides. It's difficult for a parent to disinherit a child, and it's difficult for the child to be disinherited. And so God doesn't do this lightly. And hence we have all of these warnings in God's word. Don't don't fade away. Don't fall away. Don't wander off. Stay on this path. Because it is not God's pleasure to disinherit anyone, nor is it something to be reveled in. I've been disinherited by God because there is no hope then. And so our salvation itself is dependent not upon just our sinner's prayer at one point, one, one event in our life, one distinct time, but on a continuing life of faith in the power of God for salvation. That is what we rejoice in. It will it be tested? We're going to be talking about it being tested, certainly. But the testing isn't a negative thing, it's a positive thing. And I'm convinced that it is the best evidence of enduring faith. It is a highly tested faith that doesn't diminish, but actually becomes clearer, more pure because of the testing. We're going to be investigating that extensively throughout this study and preparing our hearts and minds. But I want you to see that a mature faith, a growing faith, a living faith, uh, an enduring faith is something to be rejoicing about. When we see it in one another, we should rejoice over that. I rejoice over that faith. And um, we should be setting up for ourselves people around us that are examples of faith. I want to be like that. I want to be like that. Some of my favorite mentors uh, that are no longer with us, uh, they, they kept the faith. <laughs> they endured. They, they, they ran the race. And for them, it has been completed. And they kept it. And, and they've shared their testimony with me of things they endured in ministry and in their Christian walk and their family life. And they have come and shared that openly. And yet I saw in their life that it did not diminish their joy. Oh, were they heartaches? Yes. Were there... Were there uh, children and, and spouses and, and siblings and parents that they were concerned about? Certainly. But it did not diminish their joy to have those hardships. They could rejoice in some maltreatment they received, whether in life or in the ministry, and kept ministering. It didn't stop them from ministering. And I took that as, as that's what I want to pursue. I want to be like them. That when I show up, that I'm going to have encouraging words. That I want to be a, a, a benefit to ministry. I want to come in and lift up this, this church or this pastor, this staff. I want to be that uplifter. I don't want to be the denigrator. Um, and 
the opportunity to do that in many places is exciting. And I don't go in there and some will say, well, you've had it easy. And I was like, well, do you want me to share what happened in my life? Do you want me to share what's happened in my ministry? Do you want me to share about relationships that are broken in my family? Do you want me to talk about those things? And when they hear it, they say, we can't believe that about your history. Like, why? Why can't you believe that? I'm human and I, and I live in a broken world. Because it hasn't poisoned you out of the ministry. And I've had people say, oh, you're going to become embittered and leave the ministry. I was like, why? Because people treat me bad? People are not the power of my spiritual life. God is the power of my spiritual life. It's him that I tap. Not the accolades of other people. Not the applause. Not the, not the affirmations of of, of uh, other men. It is an expectation that I am going towards a prize. And it's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus that I am going after. And so I remember, remind myself every now and then of the David Gardeners uh, who has preached here. And, and the Bud Johnsons, who carried on ministry here in my absence on multiple occasions, even tried to parent my children for a little while while I was gone. Almost killed him doing that, but <laughs> took on that responsibility. Oh, I praise God for those men. They've finished their faith fight. They have finished their race, and they finished it well. Was it an easy race for them? No. Not at all. They had great barriers, great hurdles. But they got over them and pressed on. And this God calls us to. This is how we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. And in this we should rejoice. Even the hard times, and maybe particularly when people around us and circumstances that we encounter challenge our faith is when we should perk up and say, oh, God is testing my faith. Hallelujah. I have a chance on the other side of this to be stronger in my confidence that he is keeping me by his power. And so we do not hide and we do not avoid, we uh, accept and even embrace these tests of faith as we're going to be talking about because we recognize that what God is doing is he is keeping the, the inheritors, he is keeping us qualified to receive this wonderful inheritance he has, he has uh, set aside for us and has, has guarded and protected for us. This is the kind of God we have. His power is readily accessible. He is not distant from you. He's not hiding from you. He is not wanting you to fail. He wants you to succeed. He has given you every benefit and every uh, uh, advantage to succeed. His power is there. It is simply for you to lay hold of it. To through faith for salvation till it is revealed in the last time. And yes, your faith should just 
be stronger and stronger as you grow. And please remember what faith is. I'm going to keep defining this as we go through this. Faith is not a feeling. It's not a belief system. Faith is activity. It is action. Faith is evidence and substance. It is substantial. You can see it, hear it. Watch, you can, <laughs> see it, is watching it. <laughs> you can feel it. You, you, uh, it it's there. You, you, there's physical evidence of faith. And so we demonstrate that. And so we have occasions when biblical authors say, I am thrilled to see the evidence of your faith. How? In your obedience, in your walk, in your communication of the gospel to those around you, in your testimony. We see your faith. And it gives us great joy and rejoicing. Yes, it's been tested. It'll be hard. There's hardships within our faith. But that all just purifies the testator because it doesn't purify the inheritance. The inheritance is completely pure, undefiled, remember? which requires an undefiled testator. I'm sorry, which God was. Also an undefiled inheritor. So the testator is God. The testament or the the inheritance is pure. He requires a pure inheritor. And by the power of God, he has made us pure through Jesus Christ and continues to do that and will continue to do that as we Continue to trust him. Let's go, Lord, and pray.